Hello everyone, welcome to the latest episode of Happiness and Humans. My name is Matt Thielen. I am your host today. Um, I am co-founder of a business called The Happiness Index. I'm author of a book called Freedom to be Happy. And I'm here with the amazing Emily. Um, hello, Emily. Hi, Matt. Thanks for having me. Excited we, to be here. Okay, we found the record button after about 10 minutes between <laughs> us. <laughs> yeah. Um, Emily, please uh, introduce yourself. Sure. So thanks. Yeah, thanks for having me, Matt. I'm Emily. I'm CEO and founder of Untangle Grief. And we help families navigate life after loss. So we provide kind of emotional support, practical help and guidance for individuals who've had a bereavement or a divorce um, and help them with those steps. And I'm excited to talk to you a bit more about that and how we can help uh, workplaces as well to support support uh, employees who've had a bereavement. Emily, it's quite, um, I, often I speak to people that um, are thinking of starting a business or, or something, and they'll come up with all these different ideas for the business and so on. How, how do you get um, from doing whatever you were doing before um, to, to doing this? How does that, how does that happen? Mm, it's a good question. Um, unsurprisingly, there was a personal experience there. So I was very close to my grandpa and um, he died and I kind of was supporting my mum with all the paperwork and the admin and kind of realised that, you know, at the moment you basically have to go and find help yourself. You have to go and find uh, people who've had a similar loss and understand how it feels to lose someone. You have to kind of go frantically on Google and search for what to do when someone dies. And um, and there's just so much paperwork and that, you, you know, you have to be on the phone to banks and um, it just made me realize that we have all these companies to support people around having a baby, getting married, you know, all these happy life events. And actually yeah. the time that you really need help mm. is when things don't go to plan. Um, and so thought actually there's an amazing opportunity here to help people through these hard moments and make it much easier and simpler. Um, and sadly, you know, we're all gonna be impacted by death at some point. And so yeah. it just seemed like an obvious an obvious thing to do and here I am a few years later no it's, it's an amazing it's an amazing story Emily and, and is that where the is that where the name untangle comes from is is that mm -hmm. is, is that what it's from or, or is it if I missed it missed something no yeah it's helping helping people untangle basically the the web of complexity that you enter when you lose someone you love so yeah. um we're making it simpler and un untangling that kind of knotted ball into nice I would say clean lines but it's never simple and smooth but um, yeah. helping you along that journey well it's an amazing amazing business emily and um, one thing that we have to ask all of our guests before we get into it is what makes you happy wow that's a really good question and i didn't tell you i didn't tell you in advance no you didn't <laughs> whoa so interestingly and without getting too philosophical i think being happy and being content are very different um mm -hmm. and probably the things that make me content aren't the things that make me happy and vice versa but um, on the happiness point, seeing my friends, um, feeling, uh, having a nice, you know, meal, um, going, doing exercise. I don't like doing it, but I feel good afterwards. Um, yeah. Um, feeling like doing something that has meaning to me, um, maybe going into contentment zone here, but, yeah. um, yeah. And, dancing, listening to music, just having a nice time, I think. Um, working with people that I respect and trust. I think there's 
lots of different moments where I, I feel happy. Yeah, no, brilliant, Emily. And um, what type of CEO are you? How would you? Wow. Do, how would you I suppose how would, I suppose how would other people? Yeah, let's do it two way rounds. How would other people describe you as a CEO? Do you think? It's a good question. Um, I think they would describe me as honest um, and driven and I think nice, kind, um, which can sometimes be a curse and sometimes be a blessing. So um, yeah, I think those words, which is probably not how I'd want to describe myself, but that's probably how yeah. other people describe. So that's me. so that's the, that's the follow up question. How 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 would you describe yourself as a CEO? Um, I think driven. Um, uh, fairly straight talking, and um, I, I try and let people you know the team are this they're there for a reason they all have their own expertise and perspective so i try as best as i can to um you know listen to that and lead by setting goals rather than setting tasks um so that's that's but i'm constantly striving to get better at that um so i think i'm evolving as a ceo uh, through this business you know yeah. and um and that's what i'm striving towards yeah i, I think something i just wanted to pick out there that i find fascinating that someone once said to me which is you seem too nice to be a ceo and you said that like you said that your team see you as nice and you see yourself as driven sometimes i, I think some people don't realize that you can be both mm. like, you can be nice and you can be driven and you can want to achieve and stuff like that do you do you believe you can i, I think you do but do you believe you can is it is it possible yeah for sure and actually the reason i said nice was a kind of blessing and a curse is not because i don't think you can be driven and nice i think actually that's fantastic and i'd love i want to be those both those things i think to be a ceo you also have to be able to have difficult conversations and be able to say when things you know things aren't working out and i think sometimes nice can get in the way of that i think being respected um is important and so when i you know i, I constantly fight myself to say actually no that's not okay and we need to change that and have you thought about yeah. this and so that's where I think nice can can get in the way but I don't think being a nice person is a bad thing I think it's a great yeah. thing and I don't think it's in conflict with being driven and successful great good to, good to hear that Emily <laughs> <laughs> so getting getting in getting into the actual subject of today is, is quite a, a technical question to start with but what typically happens after loss like what what is the process what what happens well it depends really um like being really technical depends where someone dies if they die at home if they die in a hospice or in a hospital um but normally um so a doctor or a coroner needs to say that the, the person has died and then um kind of the motion is put in place for funeral arrangements normally so the body is stored um if someone dies at home you can actually keep a body at home um, but generally it's normally, you know, picked up and uh, normally stored by the funeral um, directors. Um, and then you arrange a funeral, depending on your faith, that might happen like the next day, or it might be in a few weeks time, or if you don't have a faith at all. Um, and so that's kind of the very practical piece. Um, from a 
often what we see is, you know, people will tell their loved ones and they'll ask them to, you know, spread the message that this person's died. Um, and, you know, you see that go through kind of networks of people that that message is spread. And then also if people work, they'll normally call their employer and get in touch and say, this has happened and can I have a bit of time off? So that's probably like the immediate, immediate stuff. Um, there's obviously more nuance to it than that. You have to register the death as well, um, I should say, which you can now do online, but pre-COVID you couldn't. Yeah, and we, we're really lucky with lots of people who work in HR and, and CEOs like yourself, Emily, listening in. What can, if they're listening in and they're, they're thinking, wow, this is something actually that I hadn't thought about before. How can how can businesses help their employees navigate these like really stressful times? Mm. So, I mean, there's loads of stuff you can do. Firstly, having a bereavement policy, uh, really important. And yeah. I can go into that a bit more, but just That's having a, a manual um, that says like, this is what you're entitled to in terms of time off work. So in the UK, um, if you lose a child or either stillbirth to an 18 year old, you're entitled to two weeks statutory paid bereavement leave. But other than that, there is no statutory um, legislation around bereavement leave. Um, so it's actually- What are those, what are the two statutory points again? I just want to get out and just pull so, them out so you're aware. So if you um, lose a child up to the age of 18, yeah, or have a stillbirth or miscarriage, yeah, can get, so it's called Jack's Law actually, because uh, some parents who lost their son called Jack campaigned for this for a long time. Yeah. Um, and that's been introduced, but other than that, employers have no legal obligation to do anything um and obviously most do and they have compassionate leave policies but actually there's not any obligation so having a bereavement policy you know shows that you've thought about it and it means that there's a go-to guide if you like and um, and i think what we've seen as really beneficial is having an option for a phased return to work so people you know when you grieving often you have brain fog you know you can't cope you've got loads of you know all this additional admin you have to do you're wrapping up someone's life often um and so actually having a phased return to work can be really helpful having um, an option to take time off around key days and dates so rather than doing you know someone's died and suddenly you've got two weeks and that's it um, yeah. actually grief hits in lots of different ways at lots of different times and especially around things like anniversaries of the death birthdays mm -hmm. Christmas so giving people the option to take time off around those days um, and then also um, I think having a space for people to be able to talk about about work and um, around sorry what they what they're actually dealing with so um, they're like the basics, but then obviously we can talk about actually how managers can talk to their teams as well. Um, so, yeah, policy in place, a good start. Yeah, and I, I think that was one of my hardest times in terms of being an employer. Um, I remember we had one of one of the team members, her parent, one of her parents passed away. Um, and I just didn't know as a manager, leader, whatever you want to describe me as at the time, just didn't really have any clue what to do or where to go how obviously I cared and tried to create as much space for this person as, as we could but have you got any advice for like for, for managers I suppose that if, if something like this happens in their team like where what should they do where should they start where can they go mm. so I think there's quite a few things so firstly in terms of actually talking to um, the team about it or the person 
like it's not your job to fix it <laughs> and i think that's a really important and you and you can't so it's about you know listening being non-judgmental asking questions and i think each person is so different some people want to have a quick conversation about it and use work as a distraction other people like really struggle to work or they actually just feel like they want it to be acknowledged they want it to be talked about um and so so recognizing that everyone's going to be different yeah. and not being scared to ask questions i think there's a lot of taboo and stigma around death people are very awkward they don't want to say the wrong thing and actually if you just ask open questions you know how are you doing today um and actually how are you doing today is a really good one because it's not saying it's not it's very specific and people change from day to day um you know what are you finding most challenging just the open questions that that are non you're not you know you're not judging you're not kind of trying to get to a certain answer and also not using euphemisms as well like don't be afraid to say death or bereavement or grief um so those things I think from a practical perspective, um, one of the really helpful things is actually setting up some time to talk to that person outside of the office. So either if they're returning to work, if they've had time off, going for a coffee before they come back or even just a drink, you know, once they're back and having a really open conversation. So um, things like asking them, you know, if you're having a difficult moment, how would you like to deal with it? Do you want a, Do you want us to find a quiet room for you that you can go to in the office? Um, would you like me to tell the rest of the team or would you rather they didn't know? Um, how would you like your colleagues to treat you? So all of those kinds of conversations um, and, and also helping them get resources. So if you have an employee benefit like um, counseling, great, you know, connect them with that. Yeah, and I mean, one of the things we do at the Happiness Index, we track the employee experience. So we'll be looking at things like onboarding, exits um people returning from maternity leave and, and things like that um can we talk about how you can prepare for some prepare for someone to return to work from 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 a situation like this or a bereavement mm -mm. so I, again having that conversation with them and then working out whether you need to tell the team or not they'd want you to tell the team mm -hmm. um so there's there's that piece like talking to the team helping the team understand you know yes this person's happy to talk about it these are the types of questions that you you should ask them i think letting people know that it's okay to talk about these things if that person is feels comfortable and, that, um, and, and is that your advice then you need to have that conversation with the person outside of the office to get permission for everyone else is that is that what you're saying emily yes because some people um don't you know they don't want people to know they don't want to be reminded of it at work and actually you need to understand what their wishes are um, yeah. and so have that conversation with them and make sure you're clear on that um, and then also th things like so it's very that person might not have capacity to be working the same way that they were before and acknowledge and actually one of the things we hear a lot from our community members is they get really frustrated with themselves they're like you know I used to be great at my job and either I just don't care anymore because it's you know I've lost up life lost my husband and suddenly this doesn't yeah. feel important to me or just I've got you get brain frog with grief it's really common and it's something that's not spoken about and actually they just can't work in the same way for a period of time and so having that conversation with them and saying, how can we support you? And I think as a manager, recognizing that their output, you know, wearing my business hat here might not be as high and perhaps preparing for either other people in the team to pick up a bit more work, review their work, or even some additional resourcing or slightly changing your team targets to recognize that they might not be delivering at the same rate. I think that, 
you know, in a very practical sense is important um, because it recognizes that, you know, something big has happened and, and they might not be able to deliver, but means you're not putting your your kind of projects at risk, if you like, as yeah. well. Um, um, sorry, carry on, Emily. Yeah, I mean, that sounds, I know that sounds very callous, but, you know, looking yeah. at it from a business's perspective, um, and then I think the, one of the things that we think is really helpful is encouraging that person as well um, to think about how, what can, what they can do to avoid getting like overwhelmed at work. So whether that's putting an hour in their diary every day to go for a walk or, um, you know, saying, actually, I'm not going to work past 6 well, I said 6 p.m. but like 4 p.m. <laughs> you can tell I'm a, a founder. <laughs> that's like a nice early uh, day. Um, yeah. So. And then, and then also setting up regular check-ins with them. So whether that's once a month or once every couple of weeks, because one of the big things is that grief um, and loss changes over time. So just because um, in the first week they feel a certain way, in six mm. months time they might feel very different. And if you set that infrastructure up with them beforehand and they know that they've got that regular check-in and that channel of communication, um, I think that that's really helpful because then, you know, there's no surprises when suddenly, they're feeling a bit overwhelmed down the line. Yeah, I've definitely, I've definitely had people share that with me that, that there's been potentially they think they're okay for six months and then it, it suddenly hits them. And if you, uh, I mean, how does a company deal with that? Because that's so this, a lot of it's very focused around an event, isn't it? Around the death and so on. But as you mm -hmm. say, these things can come up on anniversaries. And I had a, a girl in my team who's brother died and I knew that whenever it was coming up to the that that particular date um it was going to be tough for her have you got any tips on that Emily mm. so I think back to the bereavement policy point having a policy that they can people can take time off around significant dates um yeah. is great and also that means it opens up the ability to have a conversation and say you know do you think that you're going to take a few days off then or would you like a few days off so you can plan um and then, and then I think it is about just recognizing that 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 they might change over time what they need, um, and having those regular check-ins. I, I think it's hard to. I think this is what's the challenging thing about grief is that it it hits people um, when they don't expect it. So there is some element of being flexible. Um, I think making sure that they know that they feel comfortable and confident to say I'm struggling and that they can hand work off to people. Because if you create that environment of, you know, psychological safety, as they call it, um, that that you understand. So I think being really clear, you understand that grief changes and it can hit at different times and that's okay. But yeah. please, you know, be open to having that conversation. So if you set the groundwork with, with establishing that, then it, it means that they're kind of empowered to say, listen, I'm having a tough month at the moment. I don't think I'm gonna be able to do this you know get through these projects or i'm actually just struggling and then you can adapt accordingly so i, I think yeah. it's laying that foundation that you understand it changes yeah um all over social media at the moment red flags are trending where people are talking about red flags and stuff to avoid one i remember one mistake that we made as a team is we we put two people in touch internally that had been through a similar situation um and and, and it actually ended up upsetting both both people um, so it was done with good intentions, but was just a, a bad move. Have you got any um, any things to avoid doing, Emily? Any any tips? Any 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 little like bits of wisdom like that? I think 
I mean, firstly, don't be hard on yourselves because ultimately it's, it's done with well intention. I think one of the worst things um, we hear is that people, the thing that upsets people the most, you know, when we talk about it in our communities is that people just not acknowledging it. Yeah. <laughs> so actually, I think firstly, make sure you do say something, make sure all the managers do say, listen, we're really sorry we heard about your loss. Just yeah. as simple as that. That's all you need to say. Even if that person doesn't want to talk about it, just something, just acknowledging it, maybe sending a card from the office, you know, something yeah. like that. Um, and then again, back to the not trying to fix it. So one of the, you know, you're not going to make be able to make it better for them. Um, and that's the truth. And, and I think being comfortable in the fact that you can't, fix it so people saying stuff like oh don't worry it will get better or you'll you'll meet someone new or are you close to your mum still even though your dad's died you know the kind of trying to sugarcoat and they're the things that we do naturally because we want to make it better avoid that stuff like just sit with them in them? The Emily what do we call them just so we can create a box to put them in what, what should we call them what are they <laughs> I'm trying to think just the the Try and fix it. Um. <laughs> try and fix it. So it's the try. Yeah, it's the try and fix it, and it's just acknowledging and listening. I suppose is what you're saying, isn't it? Mm. And trying to fill the silence. Yeah, and okay. it's really uncomfortable. I mean, you know, we do support groups, and sometimes we all sit in silence for five minutes whilst people cry. Yeah, and it's awkward, but actually, that's what they need. Yeah, I I read a an article. I can't remember. I'll send it. I'll try and send it to. I'm trying to add it to this podcast episode and it was effectively saying British people are the worst at grieving in the entire world because different societies and different countries have got ways of of acknowledging it whether it's it's you know wearing black or through to different ways of remembering people but British people tend to do what what you just described Emily which is not talk about it and then people don't talk about it because they don't want to get uncomfortable do you do you know any, any differences um with with around the world in in the grieving process or or is what you're saying um quite typical i mean most of our audience are in the uk so i'm going to caveat that but yeah. yeah there are differences in different cultures um i think actually between religions as well that's what's really interesting because different religions have different ways of dealing with grief and so for example um like in in judaism people bury and i say this just but you you have to bury the body as quickly as possible and then you have a week of mourning where everyone comes to the family's house um and then a year later you put the you actually put the gravestone on and there's this kind of here's all your friends and family around you and then you have this kind of closure moment a year later where the gravestone's put on and it signifies that and and it also means everyone comes together a year later and that's quite helpful whereas you know with um the, a lot of Kind of british culture i think particularly is is we we kind of have a, a funeral and then that's that's it we send our condolences um and actually what was interesting at a support group the other day we were saying that you used to wear a black armband in the uk that was quite you, you wear black through your you know mourning clothes but for quite a long time for like months afterwards yeah. and then a black armband so people would know that you're in mourning and yeah. actually that signal is quite good because what's missing now is people can be laughing and happy but also still be grieving and we forget that because we see them being happy but they're also there's still pain inside yeah. um and actually the other thing in some kind of african countries um they have a 
uh, like a celebration. So the funeral is like dancing and singing and happy. And I think that that can be really lovely. Um, but I've also heard it's quite difficult because if you're feeling really sad, you don't have the space necessarily to cry when yeah. everyone else is like, you know, you've got, you've got to be happy. They'd want you to be happy. Yeah. And you're like, shut up. I just want to be sad. Yeah. Um, so I think I don't think anyone's got it, you know, perfect. Um, and it just depends on the individual. But there's definitely differences. Um, and through, you know, about a hundred years ago, people would die in the front room at home. That was where we died. So we were much closer to death and we're not close to death anymore in the same way. Yeah, I think uh, it's, it's a bit of dark humour, but my mum, uh, so my mum's Irish and that I've, I've heard her talk so many times with relatives and sisters and stuff say, and they've, I've actually heard them say, oh, I can't wait for the next funeral. And like, as an English person, you're sitting there thinking, what? What have you just said? But actually, they 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 see it as like a point of celebration. But it's mm. different. It's different in all different families, isn't it, Emily? Yeah. And that that sort of brings me on to the last point around a piece of research that's come out recently um, on incongruous. I can barely say the word incongruous feelings. So an incongruous feeling would be where, for example, someone has died, um, but you feel happy, and perhaps the reason that you feel happy is because they're not in pain anymore. And, and it's one of the biggest um, areas that um, means people's happiness declines because the emotion they experience at that point is different to what society expects them to feel. And we've just talked about globally, there's different ways of, of dealing with these situations from parties through to a, a silent wake. Um, have you got any thoughts on that sort of, it's very early emerging research. Have you got any, um, thoughts on on the implications of that for the workplace at all i mean yeah well one of the biggest feelings that is spoken about around grief is guilt and that guilt is definitely the product of people feeling like i should have done this i should be doing this or i shouldn't be doing this um because i've lost this person so it's exactly what you describe. It's it's the it's the byproduct of basically having an expectation of how you should be feeling or behaving, and then it being different. Um, and I think that does impact in the workplace. It, you know, and I talking earlier about people not feeling like they can perform at their best because they're grieving. And on the other side, I know that often it comes up that you want to do your loved one proud. You know, the person who's died, you want to do you want to do really well at work because you want to show them that, you know, you can achieve that for them. And if you've got that emotion sitting with also struggling to cope because you're overwhelmed by grief, that can be a really, really debilitating combination. Yeah. Um, so I, I think being able to talk you know, I, I keep saying going, talking is important, but recognizing that actually um, that that person's still the same person, they're still as driven in their career, you know, they want to do a good job. Yeah. And on the other side saying, you know, it might just be a bit harder at the moment and that's fine. And how can we provide extra support and resource to make your work a little bit easier for you? So I think trying to eliminate that as best as you can by, you know, sometimes we suggest actually to people who've, who've had a bereavement, asking a colleague that they trust to check their work. Um, and it's just a nice way of of saying, look, not at my, my I'm not at 100% at the moment, um, but I still want to achieve the same amount. So that's a kind of, I think that has to be initiated by someone in themselves. I don't think it could be initiated by 
manager, yeah. but definitely there's um, things that we can do to support people and provide the right resource around them so that they can still do well. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, Emily, um, it's so fascinating. It's, it's also reminding me, like, sometimes people think the happiness index is about being happy. Um, when really what we're always saying is it's about understanding what is making people happy and unhappy because it's important to feel all types of emotions and it's totally normal obviously to be unhappy and it's very normal to be unhappy if, if, if there's a bereavement in your family or your friends so it's kind of, this is kind of like a an extreme example of how important it is to feel all emotions because um, mm. ultimately <laughs> If someone passed and you didn't feel anything then that's even that is is a data point telling you something that there might be something that you need to look into um but emily i mean i've learned so much this has been so powerful um if someone's listening and they're thinking all these things like i want to sort my bereavement policy out through to getting support ongoing from managers like what can you just um pitch me for like 30 seconds like what what does un what does untangle do and not do? I suppose is the question. Mm -hmm. In my head, I'm imagining everything, but <laughs> yeah, no, um, what you so can think, and do. So we um we do a few things at the moment. We connect people. You know, you know, you said you connected two people who had a similar loss. We do yeah. that for people, but we allow them to find their their tribe of tribe of others who've had a similar experience. Yeah. We run support groups and events. We run events with experts um, from you know solicitors helping with probate through to um, psychotherapists, child bereavement specialists, um, and then we have advice and on-demand help. So basically, if someone's going through all the paperwork or they're having a low day, there's someone on hand um, who can help them with that um, from our team who's got the relevant expertise. And then we work with lots of partners. So we work with solicitors and funeral directors and mindfulness coaches, and we help match people to the right services and support for them. So if you are an organization and you're looking to support your workforce, we have resources for them. Um, we also have a lot a lot of knowledge about this space um, and would be really happy to kind of talk about designing a program to help managers to support their teams um, as we do, you know, who are uh, grieving. So definitely get in touch. Uh, untanglegrief.com is our website and you can find everything through there. There's a partner with us tab at the bottom. So just click on there and, and we can speak. And Emily, I just want you to speak to the younger Emily, the younger you. Mm. Um, you're like I've been through your LinkedIn like you've had such a such a cool career of working in like different forms of strategy and creativity and stuff like that if um someone else who's who's listening is thinking about how do I how do I move from like a roles like that to suddenly doing a business like this mm. um I suppose how I mean how do you like what advice have you got for younger Emily that might be thinking about it and, and anyone that's listening thinking I'm working here at the moment but you know what I I've got something that I care about, like Emily does, and I just want to go for it. Like, have you got any advice on that from a business entrepreneur perspective? Yeah, I mean, I went through a business incubator program called Zinc, who are fantastic, and they focus on social um, social driven businesses. Yeah. But there are loads and loads of business incubators, and they are a great kind of play pit, if you like. Um, I don't know if I would have had the confidence to just take the leap, but it was a good starting step. It was a nine month program. Um, and you meet other people and you have kind of resources and a network around you. So I, I'd recommend looking into the one of those programs. Um, and I think the other thing is to just do it. I mean, I, um, and that's easier said than done, but 
think <laughs> I always ask myself if I was kind of on my deathbed and I look back at my life, um, what would I what would I be proud of and what would I wish I'd done differently? And actually, the I didn't take a job um, at a really cool startup that's grown massively. Um, because I was a bit nervous when I was younger, I was a bit nervous that they were kind of early days and yeah. um, you know, it was a risky decision joining a small company. And I've always regretted that. And I think that was a great turning point mm -hmm. for me because it made me think, do the thing that's risky because the payoff can be great. And if not, yeah. you learn a lot. So I keep trying to remind myself of that. Um, okay. I, I think there's never gonna be a good time. You just gotta do it basically. Yeah. I'm going to end the, end the interview there because that is the perfect place to finish, Emily. <laughs> All I have to say is thank you so much. I have learned so much and I will even be speaking to my team to make sure that we're doing these things that you speak about, Emily. But thank you for your time and, and putting that into context for us. Thanks, Matt. Thanks for inviting me. It was really great to talk.